do hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, we're going to look at verses 7 through 13 this morning. As you turn there, I want to remind you of where we left off last week and to remind you what, what Jesus experienced in that first part of Mark chapter 6. Remember, he had been going throughout the, Gal- the region of Galilee, teaching with authority, revealing his power through signs and wonders. We read last week how how Jesus returned. He went back to his hometown, the place where he was raised and had spent most of his life. He goes back to Nazareth. It's a place where his family still lived. A small town, so made up of people that he knew and who knew him. He returns home. He's given the opportunity to teach on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. Maybe you remember the response that he received. Perhaps surprising to us that more than in any other place that Jesus had gone up to this point in his ministry, more than any other place, Nazareth was marked by unbelief. See, they they knew Jesus. It should sound familiar from last week. They they knew Jesus. They were familiar with him. But they knew Jesus, the man, the the carpenter, the man of common, common occupation, the man of uncertain birth, the son of Mary, the one whose brothers and sisters they knew. And so they, they saw Jesus and they believed that they knew him well, but they, they didn't see him as God. They didn't trust him as Christ. They didn't even accept him as a prophet. It's not the first time that Jesus had been rejected, but Mark makes it clear that this was significant and it impacted Jesus in a way that We had not been told previously. They were astonished at Jesus and did not believe. And we're told that he marveled at their unbelief. He was amazed. He was astonished, which is to say, not that he was surprised. Jesus was not surprised by their unbelief, but he marveled. I didn't have the words last week. I'm still struggling to find what does that mean, but probably a compassion for them, a desire that they would believe, and an unbelief at their unbelief. Even though he's God and he knows the sinful hearts of men, he marveled. We see the heart of Christ. And I wanted to start there this morning because I think it lays an important foundation for what comes next. The question could be asked, where does Jesus go from here? He's gone to a hometown, to the place where he's knows people to whom he's loved, and he preaches the gospel to them, only to be rejected. What does he do next? Well, we read the final part of verse 6 last week. We didn't spend much time on it. But we're told that he leaves Nazareth, and he goes out and begins going from village to village, doing what? Proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the, the message of the kingdom. And what we're going to see in the passage this morning is that not only does Jesus go out teaching himself, but for the first time, he begins sending others to go out and to preach the gospel. Do you see here the heart of Christ? That he goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he preaches the gospel. He gives them the good news and they don't believe. And we see this pause. He marvels. But his mission is not deterred. 
He goes from there and he goes out and he continues teaching from village to village. And we see this morning that he begins even to send out his disciples whom he's prepared. If you don't like the title I've given the message, The Sending of the Twelve, you probably could just see that in the heading of your Bible. I stuck with the traditional, but you could call this the first missions trip. If you like that better, you can scratch it out and just write it in there. The first missions trip. As Jesus sends out people, not permanently, but just for a short time, to go out and proclaim the gospel. As I've been considering this portion of the life of Christ and the way it fits in the context here of Mark chapter 6, I think this is significant. Let's go back again, just like we did last week, and consider chapter 5. The displays of power that we saw from Jesus. Remember, he calms the storm. He shows his power over demons, his power over disease, his power over death. When you raise a girl from the dead, wouldn't that be a good opportunity to tell your disciples, now go, right? If you've seen what I can do, you've seen my power, you've seen my authority, now go and tell the world. But he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he's on this high note, and knowingly, Jesus says, come on, guys, we're going to Nazareth, where he knows he'll be rejected. What I want you to consider, what I think we see as we consider the context here is that Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's revealing himself to them. He has left no doubt of who he is. He is God in flesh. He's also one who will be rejected. And his disciples must recognize that they too will face the same. They can go and proclaim the good news. They can proclaim he raises people even from the dead and they may be rejected. And what a great way to show that to them by taking them to his hometown where they don't believe. What we're going to see this morning is the commitment of Jesus to his mission in the world as he prepares men who will serve as his witnesses. I think it's incredible to see the process through which Jesus is teaching and training these men. Brian rightly prayed just now that we're told in Ephesians that the, the church is founded on the apostles and the prophets, Christ being the cornerstone, but this is the foundation that's being built, and we see here the training process of these men that now 2,000 years worth of church history rests on the work that they began. What we're going to see through the training of Christ, through what he does, is that he's telling them, he's instructing them that their mission won't be easy. They will have to be dependent on God. I think he's revealing to them, both through his actions and through what he instructs them to do, that their ministry is going to be marked by difficulty. But what we also see here, and we want to see both sides of this coin, they're both there. Both the difficulty of the calling, but also the privilege of the calling. We see here that they are sent out by Jesus, given his power, given his authority, sent by God himself who will equip them, empower them, and give fruit to their ministry. So with that in mind, we'll read our passage, the sending of the 12, the first missions trip, the training of the apostles. You can pick your title, okay? It's all these things. Mark 6, we're going to read verses 6, excuse me, 7 to 13. Hear the word of God. 
He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's our prayer that God would add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. Before we start walking through the text this morning, I want to lay this out. We probably could legitimately say this to a certain extent every week. Something that's always true, but especially worth noting when we come to a passage like this one. What I want us to keep in mind is that what we have here is Mark describing a very specific situation. It's a situation that involves a particular people at a particular time. So what I mean is that Jesus is sending a specific and unique group of men on a specific and a unique mission for specific and unique reasons. And I want to say that on the front end because I think we're often eager to ask right at the front end, if this is instructive for us? And, and how, how does this speak to us first? We're going to get there. there. There are principles here that are important for us. But I want to just say on the front end, and I'll try to explain it as we go, that in many ways this was a very specific and particular mission that has abiding principles for us. And so we want to see both of those things both what Jesus is calling them to specifically, what he's accomplishing very specifically in them, but then also how what he does through them shows us how he would have us to go and to serve. So we want to look at, at both those things. And having those things distinguished will help us with some of the trickier parts of the text because it's not all one-to-one, -one, okay? So if you're not wearing sandals this morning, it's okay. This is a particular mission, all right? We start in verse 7. We see that they're being sent out. Mark records that Jesus called the 12. And here we see the, the specific, man, why do I put words in here that I can't say? We see the specific group of men, these, the 12 that are pulled apart. And consider this, that there were other people at this time following Jesus. He had more than 12 disciples. But at this point, he calls these 12 men. These men that he's been preparing for a specific purpose. Among these are those who he called from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Remember those fishermen? And this has been months ago now, right? When we talked about Jesus walking up to them on the shore and saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And these men were called by Jesus and responded to that call. He told them they were going to do something and now they've been training, they've been preparing and now we're getting to the point where he's about to send them out. He called Simon and Andrew and James and John. And then a couple of chapters later, we read of the call of Levi. In chapter 3, we read, And 
verse 13 through 16. And I went back and reviewed that message and there's a lot of parallels between this passage in Mark 3 and our, our passage this morning in Mark 6. We read that Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles for these reasons, so that they might be with him and so he might send them out to preach and have authority and to cast out demons, he appointed the 12. And maybe already you're hearing the similarities. This was three chapters ago where he, he called them for two reasons, that they could be with him. And we've seen that now, that they have been with him. They've learned from them. They have, they have seen his work. They've seen him revealed. He also called them so that he could send them out to preach with authority and give them authority over demons and the ability to heal. So as we come to chapter six, we see this same language again. Verse seven, he called the 12 and began to send them out. Back in chapter three, it said he, they would be named apostles. And even this word send in the Greek, it's, it's the same form of that word apostle. It's the, the verb form of the noun apostle. He apostles them out. He sends them out and gives them authority over unclean spirits. Before we move past this, I just want to encourage us to consider this, that these are men who are called by Jesus. They've been brought into relationship with him. And now they're being sent out as, as representatives of him, as ambassadors of him. If we've been tracking with the gospel up to this point, we've seen who Jesus is. He's God in flesh. Think what it means that God in flesh, the one who calmed the sea and raised the dead and healed diseases, would now say, now you're going to represent me. You're going out as my ambassadors. And this is God's plan. He's going to send these men out. And let's also slow down before we give too much credit and forget who these guys are because we could very quickly put them on the pedestals. They are the apostles. But we can go back and remember what we've seen earlier in Mark, that these weren't powerful or proven leaders. He didn't choose the religious elite. He chose a small number of unimpressive men. Great fishermen, perhaps. But when you consider this mission, it did not add up. And beyond that, beyond, you can say, well, they've grown a lot. Well, have they? Because if you read through these first six chapters of Mark, what we see are over and over. Anytime the disciples come up, it's because they're misunderstanding Jesus. They've shown over and over they don't fully understand who he is or really what he's accomplishing. And yet these are the men that he sends out. Does that give you any hope? That God calls ordinary, often unimpressive people and even when we've been around and we've been at church, and we've even come on Wednesday nights, and we've done the whole thing, and sometimes we just don't fully grasp all the ins and outs that we think we should grasp. Well, this is what we've seen here. But these men whom Jesus has called, he has set them apart for this purpose. This is God's plan. He calls people to himself. He changes us. He gives us new hearts. And then he sends us out as representatives in the world. And he doesn't call us because of our wisdom or our platform, or our way with words. 
Now he chooses us so that he can show his power through us. We must remember that our ability and our effectiveness is not dependent on anything in us. It's dependent on the call of God and his sending. Why were the apostles effective in their ministry? Why does their ministry remain till today? Oh, it's not because of anything in them. It's because of the one who sent them and empowered them. You got all that from verse 7? Yeah, I think so. It's there. This, the send of God. And there's more. We're told, we see in verse 7, he, he sends them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He sends them out in pairs. And you can go to the commentators and you'll get four pages on why they're sent two by two. Everything from Noah's Ark to, you know, teamwork. There's some practical benefits to going with the team, isn't there? Aren't you glad that God has not called us necessarily to go out alone? They went out in pairs most likely because they would strengthen one another, but maybe, maybe the best reason, other than just the practical reason, would be that in the Old Testament, over and over in the law, we're told that truth is established on the testimony of two witnesses. And so it would make sense that it wouldn't be one man rolling into town alone, but he would have someone else to verify what he said. This man, he calmed the storm, he cast out demons, he overcame disease, and he raised the dead. And the other one says, yes, I was there. I saw it. If you want a reason, that, that's my favorite reason for why they go in twos, but Jesus may not have, he has reasons, but maybe it's not that exact. But he sends them out two by two, and we're told that he sends them with authority and power. Specifically, Mark says that he gives them authority over unclean spirits. We've seen this over and over in Mark, haven't we? That Jesus has the authority over demons. We go back to the chapter one, synagogue in Capernaum, where a man stands up and shouts at Jesus and Jesus commands the spirits to come out. And we've seen it a couple of other times. We see it with the, the, the Gerasene man who was filled with many, many legions of demons. This is authority Jesus has, and he's shown it, and we've, we've said over and over, we know Jesus is God because we can see his authority over evil. This is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the world as Jesus can speak and evil must flee. And now Jesus comes and he confers this authority on these 12 men. One thing we've mentioned over and over is that the main reason that Jesus does miracles, the main reason that he reveals his ability to cast out demons is because it shows who he is. It shows that he's God and it validates his message. I think this is the reason that he gives this authority to the disciples, not necessarily so they can bring good to the community in which they go, although that happens. When demons are cast out, that's good for the community. But the primary reason he does it is to validate their message. See, the, the miracles are not the point. The message is the point. But as they go out with this authority and have the ability to cast out demons and to heal people, they gain the ground they need to, their message is authenticated and they can now speak the, the gospel. So they're sent out under the authority of Jesus so they can be heard. He sent them out as representatives to proclaim his message and they go out not in their own power but by his power. We've already confirmed this is good news for us. 
We think about the, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. You could probably quote them. I won't ask you to. You could, though. I'm going to give you credit. You can quote it. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. For what purpose? To what end? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, because of God, excuse me, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It should humble us that God would call us. It also should give us strength to know that he does these things through people just like us. In this text, we see the disciples being sent out as representatives of Jesus with his power and his authority. And then we get some really interesting instructions from Christ. He tells them what to take and what not to take. And he tells them what to do and what not to do. Verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Interesting, right? We would expect him to give them some final tips on the gospel, some notes about their message. He doesn't do that here. Instead, he tells them what to take and what not to take and what to do when they get there. And what I just want you to remember as we go through this is that Jesus is training them. He is helping them to learn things that they will need to know in order to be good witnesses going forward after the resurrection. He's, this is a training exercise in which he is telling them, first, that they must be dependent on the provision of God. And let me show you, let me prove to you that God will provide. Here's how I'm going to do it. When you go, don't take anything with you. It's not the way we would normally prepare for a trip. Think about it. You wouldn't think about heading out on a trip without packing a change of clothes, taking the money you would need to pay for things or to acquire what you need. If you're going on a trip for more than a few hours, you're going to pack food or you're going to make sure you have a means to get food because you know that a time is coming not too long from now when food's going to be needed. I know when we head on a trip, I'm going to make sure I have my, before I leave the house, not even a trip, but I'm going to make sure I have my wallet, so we, may, we may need money. That's, that's usually as far as I get. Michelle takes care of the rest. She's going she's gonna to pack the food. And you can, I guarantee you, if we're going on a trip, it's more than an hour. We have enough food to last us a week. You know, just leave a spot in the van because there's going to be a bag of food that we will unpack when we get back. All right? There's no way we could eat it all. But we, we pack these things. We, we get, there's things we do when we get ready for a trip. We take the things that we, we're going to need. But Jesus tells them, when you go on this trip, don't take the things you would normally take. You can take your staff, but no bread, no bag, no money. Why? These are things they would need. 
Well, Jesus is preparing them. He's teaching them this, that as you go out on my behalf, you must be dependent on me. And you must be able to trust that if I call you, I will provide what you need for the mission. When God calls, God provides. I appreciated the way one commentator said this. I'm just going to read it for you. It says, the most startling particular in the mission of the twelve is the instruction on what not to take. The journey on which Jesus sends them is unlike any other, for it must be made without elaborate support and with only the barest of provisions. The barest of essentials, however, ensure that they place their trust not in their supplies, but in the one who sends them. He says this. I put this on your notes because I think it's worth having. True service of Jesus is characterized by dependence on Jesus. And dependence on Jesus is signified by going where Jesus sends, despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. It's an important statement. It's that if God calls, God will provide, and He is faithful. Think along with that, there's a command to be content with what God provides, okay? Go out, I will provide, and by the way, when I do provide, be content with what I give you. He says in verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now here's where we have to remember some of the customs of this time, that when we go on a trip, once again, we prepare. Uh, We know where we're gonna stay. We usually, we're gonna reserve a hotel room, At this time, especially for traveling teachers, the custom was to show up in a town and then to accept the hospitality of those who would be willing to hear your message. And what happens when you go into a town, and I think we all, we we experience this, you meet a guy at first and he says, yeah, come stay with me. And then you go and you teach at the synagogue on Sunday and and then someone else like, hey, I've got a bigger house up on the hill, great view, my wife's a great cook, why don't you come stay with us? What does Jesus say? No, no. When you go into town, whoever takes you, stay there. Perhaps it's just so that there's not contention among the saints in that place. But I think he's telling them, I will provide, trust my provision. You don't have to go out and find a better place. You don't have to go out and find better provision. What I give you is what you need. So when you go, stay. He's, inst- he's teaching them. Like I said, this is a specific mission with specific purposes. These aren't things that they are told to continually to do later on. In Acts, as the apostles go out, we're not seeing them go out necessarily with no bread and no bag and with all these same restrictions. This, is, this was a training exercise. He doesn't say it that explicitly, but he's sending them out with these specific instructions in order to teach them what it looks like to depend on him. I'll say this, that There are abiding principles here for us. We must depend on Christ. We must know that he provides. But at the same time, there's things that we should not take from this text. This text is not telling us that missionaries don't need to raise money. They just need to go. Okay? This is not necessarily saying, hey, just go get on a plane. Take care of it when we get there. God could. That's not what this text is telling us. The Bible is clear about planning, about wisdom. This isn't a command just to live on faith 
although we must live by faith. He's teaching his disciples something that we all must learn, that God can be trusted, and that when God calls to serve him, he will provide what we need. God is faithful. It's interesting if you read Luke. This is later on in the ministry of Christ. Listen to what Jesus asks his disciples. Luke 22, verse 35. He said to them, Remember when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals? You remember that? Did you lack anything? They said, nothing. That even confirms it was a particular time, right? Remember that time when we did that? You remember that whole exercise where I, sh- I told you to go and not even take an extra change of clothes? Did you lack anything? I think for most of us, this is our testimony that we can look back and we can say, did we really lack anything? Yeah, in the moment, we probably felt like we needed a bit more. But did you lack anything? Nothing. We can trust God's provision, can't we? Something we all must learn. And not just in the realm of money and food and provisions, but in the work of the ministry and sharing the gospel. We understand that God will provide what's needed for the mission, which includes the words we're going to speak. He gives us the wisdom we need. He speaks through us. He's the one who opens the hearts and minds of those who believe. So we can go out with confidence, knowing that he will accomplish his plan as we are faithful. Jesus tells them what to take and what not to take. He makes it clear that God will provide. He also wants them to be prepared for the reality that they may not be accepted everywhere they go. Look at verse 11. If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. Once again, a little cultural context here. What we know is that during this time, there were certain pious Jews, the ultra-religious who when they would leave Israel, when they would leave the promised land, when they came back to the border, before they went back into Israel, they would shake off their shoes. They would dust themselves off. Why? Because there's not any of that pagan dust that's going to come into the promised land of God. It was an interesting tradition. Not something that was commanded by God, but just this this practice that they started. This is God's land. We're going to leave what's not his out there. We're We're going to honor our land. And to a certain respect, disrespect those outside. Well, it seems this is probably the practice that Jesus is referring to. And so he tells them, if you go into a city and they live like unbelievers, then when you leave, shake off the dust as a testimony against them. Now, I would say it's symbolic. It's not, they're not in any way, it's not them calling judgment on the city necessarily. It's a symbol that they have rejected the word of God. And I would even go this way and say, they are proclaiming that they're not true Israel, right? So the practice was when they come into Israel, they declare, this is the promised land of God. These are the people of God. Those are not. We're going to shake off the dust. So when they leave the town, they're declaring, those are not the people of God. They have not heard. Not a decisive act of judgment, but a symbol. 
And a symbol that I think was for the city to see and for them to remember. It's an indication to them that they will not be accepted wherever they go. They can remember Jesus said this would happen. Jesus said there would be days like this, right? Where we will go and we will not be accepted. We know what to do. We're faithful with the message and we go on. It takes us back to where we started. That even Jesus himself was rejected by the people of his hometown. Not all who hear the good news will perceive it as good news. Jesus went to Nazareth, the Messiah, speaking to people he loved and who we'd assume loved him and his family. He shared the gospel with them that not all who hear the good news perceive it as good news. And Jesus is telling his disciples, not everywhere you go will they listen. There will be some who will not receive you and they will not listen to you. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what they would experience. What's interesting is this parallel passage in, in Matthew. So in the Gospel of Matthew, we have the same, the same sending out and the same instructions. And Jesus is teaching them, but in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, it doesn't stop. The teaching doesn't stop where it stops here. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 10, We'll start in 14, you'll hear the, the familiar part first. It says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that house or town. And he says this, truly I say to you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. A disciple is not above his teacher. Remember the teacher who was just rejected by his hometown? It is enough for the disciple to be as like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So this gives us even a fuller context in the Gospel of Matthew of how Jesus is preparing his disciples not only to go out with authority and power and to proclaim the gospel, not only to learn to be dependent on him, but also knowing that they will not always be accepted. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the ministry has gone sideways. This is part of what we expect when we proclaim the gospel, isn't it? that not all who hear the good news will perceive it as good news. And sometimes they don't only reject the message, they also reject us. He says there in the verse, there may be some who will not receive you and will not listen to you. Not only will they reject the message, but they may reject us as well. We see Jesus sending them out on a pretty radical missions trip. I want you to go out without me, go on your own, don't take anything with you and be prepared for the fact that some are not going to accept you. And now we come to the moment. It's one thing to get the instructions. It's another thing to obey them. And we have seen that the disciples are not 100% on following instructions. So what's going to happen now? We see in verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And at this point, we should say, praise God, they, they were faithful, right? Let's not read it too fast and take for granted that they obeyed. 
We know the decisions we have to make in obedience. We've been called to proclaim the gospel. We're not always faithful. We should be thankful to see that the disciples here were faithful even to an odd mission. They were faithful. We see that they did signs confirming that they came with authority. They, they cast out demons. They healed the sick. And, and this is where I would, I would kind of just give it out parentheses that this was a unique time and a unique ministry and a unique trip. And so we're not necessarily sent out to cast out demons and to heal the sick, although we should pray for these things. Our mission is different, but the primary thing they did and what's emphasized over and over as they go out is that they proclaim the message. They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That was a given when Jesus sent out. That, we didn't see that in the first part. That's why they're being sent out. He gave them something additional in giving them the authority over unclean spirits. But the reason they were sent out, the purpose for going out, and that for which we're being sent out, is to proclaim the message of the gospel. To call people to repent and to trust God. It's the message that we saw back in chapter 1, the message of Jesus that he proclaimed. Back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And this is the invitation of the king. If you repent of your sins, if you confess that you're a sinner, turn away from your sins and believe in the work of Jesus, your citizenship can be transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. I like the way Colossians says it, Paul in Colossians, he says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the, the domain, the rule, the reign of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this is the message that Jesus came proclaiming. The kingdom of God has come, repent and believe the gospel. This is the message that the disciples went out proclaiming, that people should repent and of course, this is the message that we today have been commissioned to go and to tell. I told you earlier that there are some things about this mission that were particular. It had a particular purpose, but there are abiding principles. And we see the abiding principle confirmed over and over in Scripture as we, as the people of God, are instructed to go out and to teach and to tell and to proclaim. That all have sinned, that all are under the wrath of God, but Jesus came to live a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death and he rose. Now all who believe will also be raised. It's the most important message in all of history. And isn't it amazing to see the way God chose to send it out into the world? We see him preparing here, preparing those first witnesses from whom Others heard and shared, and others heard and shared. Now, 2,000 years later, we have heard and we are called to share. And let's not forget the abiding principles that we see in this text, that as we go, we go not in our own power, but in the power of Christ. And as we go, we must depend on him, knowing that we can trust him. And we go with the awareness that not all who hear the good news will receive it as good news. But that's not a surprise to God and we can trust him. Aren't you glad that they were faithful? Our prayer should be that we too would be faithful.
to go in his power, depend on his provision, and trust him that he will do his work as the message is proclaimed. May we be faithful.